I just want to point out that we have two infants and a four-year-old in here, and they have not torn the place down yet, so obviously neither of them are Waymans. Um, but I, I have been looking forward to today for months, ever since we kind of got this date on the calendar when we recognized that we were going to have an opportunity to um, celebrate the dedication of two families to raising these two little girls that God has entrusted to them. And um, this is a day that we typically would refer to as child dedication. And we are going to be dedicating both Anela Jones um, and Scarlett Basita to God today. However, any of us who have had any interaction with children, even if we don't have children of our own, all of us recognize that children do not grow up in a vacuum. And they are not shaped simply through the passage of time any more than a lump of clay like this gets shaped simply by leaving it on the counter and hoping that it'll change. Our children are shaped and molded by the people that God places into their path, the people that he entrusts their hearts to, by the words that we speak and the ways that they will either build up their confidence or tear them down, by the ways that the people model their values in front of these children. uh, And those models will influence their values, their worldview, the way that they interact with other people, the way that they view themselves in relationship to other people. And and there's a a sociologist named George Barna. Many of you guys have heard his name before. He's one of the most well-known sociologists, particularly in Christian circles, as he tends to really uh, spend a lot of time going, how is the church being influenced by culture, and how is culture influencing the church, and all those kind of things. And this is what he said about raising children. He said, what you do with children, both yours and others, is the most important ministry thrust you will ever undertake. Why? Because the moral, spiritual, and relational foundation of people's lives are determined primarily by age 13. In other words, in those first 12, 13 years of life, Our children's identities, our children's values, our children's worldview are kind of like this clay. They're supple. They're they're, they're changeable. They're moldable. And we have an opportunity to leave fingerprints and help shape them. Now, does that mean that we don't change later on in life? Absolutely not. Thankfully not. There are a ton of us in here who are, are testament to the fact that we can still change in life. But it's kind of like trying to change this clay after it's sat on the counter for a while and it's gotten hard. It takes a little bit longer. It takes maybe the, 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 the moisture of the Holy Spirit coming into our lives and beginning to give some flexibility back to that. But these are the wet cement years. When you're writing your name, where you're putting your fingerprints into these children's lives. And what Barna's words tell me is that the role of investing in our children is the most important role that we can play. What it tells me specifically is that my job as my son's father is more important than my job as the pastor of Lighthouse Church. Because let's be honest here, Lighthouse can and will at some point get another pastor. My boys can't get another father. And so today is more than a child dedication. It's also a commissioning of the men and women who have been called by God to shape and mold the daughters that God has entrusted to their care. Stephen and Tara, Mike and Clarissa. 
They're the primary ones that are going to invest into their daughters. They're the primary ones who, through their example, are going to be shaping and molding their daughters, for better or for worse. The values that you model for your daughters are going to influence your daughters' values. The way that you treat one another will influence the way your daughters will treat other people and will influence the way that they look for a spouse. The way that you worship God, model that in front of them, is going to shape the way that they view God, the way they view interact, or the way way they interact with their God as well. And so I just, I know that it is a heavy, heavy burden that's on your shoulders. And I want to simply speak to that before we dive into actually dedicating your daughter. So one of my very favorite passages, because I recognize the gravity of what it is that you have been called to, One of my favorite passages in Scripture is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to grab that and turn with me there. You can use your Bible app if you're using that, or there's some Bibles in the front of the the seat backs in front of you. But in Deuteronomy 6, the, the context is we've got the Israelites, a group of people that God called out of slavery and said, you're going to be my people, and he's led them through the wilderness up to the cusp of the promised land, this land that he promised to give them a land flowing with milk and honey, a land that, that they have been looking to, forward to for decades. And Moses and the Israelites are right there about to cross over, and before they do that, Moses recognizing, I'm old and I'm not going to be able to go and take this land with you, he begins to commission the people of God, the Israelites, toward what they're about to do. And before he sends them in, he recognizes this is a good land that God has promised to us. However, there are going to be some distractions in that land. The biggest distraction is once you get there, it's going to get comfortable. And you're going to rest in the things that you have. And you're going to kind of take your eyes off of God who has led you in a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night through the wilderness. You have been dependent for over 40 years for your daily food manna in the morning, quail at night, water out of the rocks. You have seen the way that God hasn't even allowed your clothing to wear out. He has taken care of you every step of the way. But now as you go in, I recognize that you are now going to be able to become dependent on the, thing, the, the food that the land produces. You're going to be able to be dependent on the homes over your head rather than God to be your shelter. And in that time, I want to challenge you not to take your eyes off of him. So he commissions the people to protect them from being distracted. These are his words. And it's something that we talk a lot about here, something we've mentioned several other times because this is such a central passage. It's called the Shema. And for an Israelite, even today, this is the first prayer that they pray when they wake up in the morning and the last prayer that they pray at night. These words I'm about to read. Hear, O Israel, this is verse 4 of chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In other words, there is no other God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today, in chapter 5 of Deuteronomy, he's gone back through the Ten Commandments. He's reminded them of the ways that they can protect their relationship first vertically with God and then horizontally their relationships with one another. And he says, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them 
when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. The Jews have literally taken this uh, literally, and they have, they have little boxes that they put the scriptures in that they tie up there. And then you'll see sometimes, if you've ever been to Jerusalem, they'll wrap cords around their arms and tie little boxes onto their, their arms to take this verse literally. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. I'm going to go just a couple more verses than what you have in your outline. It says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your forefathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you, a land with large, flourishing cities that you didn't build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant, then... When you eat and you're satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. In other words, don't take your eyes off of God. Do not get complacent. Focus on true north because he is the God who has led you to this point. He is the God who has provided this and he is your sustainer in the land as well. Now we read that and some of us are familiar with that passage. And given that today is child dedication, naturally our minds focus on those, that verse 7. That you need to teach the things I have taught you to your children. You need to impress it upon them. And that is absolutely true. We have a responsibility to pass our faith on to the next generation. Because our kids are watching us. If I want my boys to treat my wife, their mother, with respect, the only way they're going to learn that is if they see their father treat their mom with respect. And if I do that, then chances are in the future they will learn that from me and they'll treat their wives and other women with respect. How can I ask my children to care about reading Scripture if they don't see their parents doing that, right? How can I expect my children to to value prayer if they never learn it from me? I mean, if I teach my boys how to keep their eye on a baseball, but I never teach them how to keep their eyes on God, then I've let them down and I've shirked my responsibility as given to me by God. Similarly, if I teach my children how to talk to a girl but I am not intentional about teaching them how to have a conversation with their God, both speaking but also listening, then again, I've shirked my responsibility as a parent. And so the first thing I want us to notice is that it is our God-given responsibility to pass our faith onto the next generation. Because they may have been created in God's image, but they will, for better or for worse, be shaped by us. That's a huge, heavy load. But there's a a second thing I want us to notice in these verses that we just looked at. Because we tend to jump to verse 7 that talks about passing our faith on to our kids. But I want you to notice what happens in verse 5 and verse 6. He doesn't begin, Moses doesn't start with pass your faith on, pass your understanding on. He begins with their own relationship with God. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. 
And these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your heart. Then, then you will be in a position to be able to hand it down to your kids. There's been research as to why um, the number of children, actually the number of like junior hires, high schoolers, college students, end up leaving church when they've been brought up in it. Why are they walking away? And the number one reason that kids give for stepping away from church is because what they heard preached on Sunday and what they saw lived out the rest of the week were two very different things. Their parents said, you need to live one way, but they weren't living it themselves. And our lives and our actions speak far louder than the words that we speak. Because our kids aren't just seeing the way that, you know, the world may get our Facebook posts. They may get that Facebook facade that we put up. And we can put on a, a good show on a Sunday morning for an hour, even when you're like tearing one another apart on the drive-in, and then you still are harboring that bitterness towards your spouse, and you're driving home, and you're just like, ah, I'm so angry. And the rest of the week, you're at one another's throats. Our kids see us when our guard is down, when we're not acting for the rest of the world. They see the real us. And the heartbeat of what Moses is saying to the Israelites and also to us is that we must allow what we're hoping to pass on to our kids to be true for us. We must be intentional about our own relationship with him and about our relationship with one another before we can ever hope to pass it on to them. So that is my encouragement, and it probably sounds more like a, that sounds heavy, and it is. It is a heavy responsibility. And so with that said, I'm going to invite Stephen and Tara with their daughter Scarlett, and I'm going to invite my Clarissa, Kobe, and their daughter, Anela, to come on up here. I'm going to have you guys stand up in front. Right on up here. I, I am so grateful, by the way, that we have two new little girls in our church because for a while there, it felt like we were raising a football team here at Lighthouse. I, I only make Y chromosomes, apparently. Hi, baby. And so I'm so grateful that these guys... Hi. Hello. Love them. And, and I, I, have a, I have the pleasure, my wife and I and several others of us here, have the pleasure of getting to do life with both of these couples on a weekly basis, not only here on Sunday mornings, but also uh, we have a, a small group that meets in our home. And so we have gotten the chance over this last year to, to have Anela be our... Um, youngest member of our group. And then Scarlett here was born, and Anela is now old enough to get to go to childcare and hang out with the older kids sometimes. And so now Scarlett is our youngest member of our group. Uh, and we are, you know, basically what happens is parents show up, and one of us steals the kid, and they don't get him back, unless they cry, at which point parents get him back, which is the best part about um, <laughs> getting to borrow daughters or sons is that you get to give them back, Right? That's why grandparents love that aspect. But anyway, here's what we're going to do. First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to talk to the parents. Because this is both a dedication of these daughters, but it's also a commissioning of the parents. And so I'm going to begin by speaking with the parents themselves. And I have a couple of vows that, in the same way they made vows with one another a couple years ago, several years ago, about a... About a month, or actually a week after Kathy and I made our vows, so we're right on the same path line here. But you guys have made vows with one another, and in the same way, I'm going to invite you to make some for your daughters. And so, I, these are things that I sent them this week. 
that we've talked about, and I'm just going to read these out loud, and if what I'm about to read is... You guys can come forward, by the way. You don't have to stand way back there. But if what I'm about to read is the true intention of your heart, then for each one of these, I'm going to just ask you to say, we do. Okay? So first, do you recognize that this child is more than a gift from God? She has a priceless responsibility entrusted to your care by her Creator. And do you commit to strengthening your own relationship with God, recognizing that your children are likely to follow the spiritual example that you set for them? Do you commit yourselves to protect and strengthen your marriage, recognizing that in doing so, you're creating a stable environment in which your child can mature? And do you commit to disciple your children, both modeling and teaching them how to pray, worship, listen to, and serve God? And do you commit to cultivating relationships with others who will both support and aid you in the training up of your children? You know, I I know that we say those, and I absolutely know that you mean them. But just as the vows in our marriage are things that we say, I, I... it's both a declaration of this is what I will do, but also it's a prayer, right? Because it's one thing to say I want to, and I will do it, and it's yet another thing to do it day in and day out. And so that's our prayer, is that God would give you patience in those times when our, these children have a mind of their own and, and when you're just at your wit's end and that he would protect your marriage and your communication when it tends to happen where we focus more energy on raising our kids than we do on maintaining the friendship and the respect that we have for our spouse. And, and then that huge prayer, God, would you surround my children, my child, with others who will love them the way we love them and will be patient with them. And so we're going to pray over you guys in just a few minutes, but before we do that, I know that each of you have written a letter to your daughter that I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to read. Mike, I'm going to let you begin here. You know, hold on a second. No, she gets to hold her all the time. Ah, that's probably better for her to hold her. I'll steal her later. All right. All right. Dear Anela, with your name, meaning angel, your very presence on the earth is constant reminder of God's goodness and grace. As a girl, I know that your primary sense of self-worth will come from me as your father. It's my job to pour worth into you, telling you that you're beautiful, you're a princess, and if any boys try to mess with you, I'll break their kneecaps. (laughs) I promise to love you and set the bar high so that no stinky boy will ever come close to meeting your standards. (laughs) Your mom and I will do more than just promise to love you. We promise to love each other, to fight for our marriage every step of, our, of the way, so that growing up, you have a beautiful picture of how much God loves us and how much we're supposed to love each other. Deuteronomy 6 instructs me to have God in my heart and to train my children up to have God in their hearts as well. This is, this is a vow and a promise <clears throat> I make to you for the rest of my days. We love you and are so grateful that God has entrusted you to us. Love, Mom and Dad.
My dear Sanela, I stand before you still in awe of your presence. Every day I think about what a perfect blessing you have been, and I truly mean perfect. From the day you were born, you have slept well, ate well, peed and pooped well. You could even, you hardly even cry, and you smile from the minute you wake up. I have actually stopped myself from sharing how amazing you are because I didn't want other mommies to feel bad just in case they didn't have it as easy as I did. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) But in the midst of prayer, I said to myself, why would I do such a thing? These are my blessings. These are my blessings that I need to praise him and make it known among the people. But these are not only my blessings, but they are yours as well. So together we will thank the Lord. I thank the Lord for allowing me to raise such a beautiful little girl. I will do my best to guide you in the Lord's way, to the best of my ability, and with lots of prayer. I will guide you to love the Lord with compassion, prayers, and praise, and with all of this family and friends here today. I will ask them all to keep me accountable in doing so. Anela Dolores, may you always know that you are loved by so many. And most importantly, may you always feel and trust the love of the Lord. We love you. (laughs) To our amazing daughter, Scarlett, we're both truly blessed to be your parents and are excited to watch you grow and surprise us with your ever-developing character and personality, not to mention the adventures we will share. You truly are a precious gift from God that has softened our hearts and opened our eyes to the absolute beauty and purity one can possess. As such, we will treat you as our treasure and commit our lives to cherishing you and teaching you to God so that he can guide you on your path. Being that you will grow up in a world that continues to distance itself from God, you will witness the battle between good and evil every day. Your only defense against this evil will be to give yourself and your life over to God for your protection and salvation. We cannot express how important your personal relationship, trust, and faith in him is. As a believer, you will inevitably face hardships and trials, But know that no matter what struggles you face or how hard things get, he will never lead you astray, nor will he ever desert you. Alongside Jesus, we will also be the rock at your side to always help strengthen and lead you back into the light. We love you so much and will do our best to make sure that we foster a strong relationship with Jesus in your life and that we ourselves are living examples of this. As we dedicate you as a Christ follower and pledge our responsibility in educating and raising you to know and believe in him, we pray a daily reminder of our faith for you, which is Ephesians 3:17 through 21. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and how long and high and deep the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power 
that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Love, Mom and Dad. Amen. Amen. Take that back, please. So we, as your church family, uh, have a couple of gifts that we want to give you, both for your daughters as well as for you. First off is... uh, Uh, what, do you, what do we call those, Cheryl? A certificate of dedication? Thank you. I don't know why that's hard for me to say. Second thing is, and, and you probably have about 12 of them already, but I want to give you a, a children's Bible for them. This is one that we had for my son, or for both my boys, and, and it was the first one we began to read through with them, and it's just a, a wonderful, fun Bible and something in there for them. And then I know that you guys, our commitment is not just to your daughters. Our commitment is also to you as parents. And I know you already have this book, but this is a book, it's called Spiritual Parenting, uh, that goes through, this has shaped a lot of how we are raising and investing in your kids across the street. It has also been very influential in shaping the way that we um, are raising my kids at home. Uh, The posture of, of loving our children and creating atmospheres that allow them to be shaped and molded. And so this book is in line with this recognition of the gravity of what God has given to us. With that, I want to invite uh, Joneses, why don't you come down here and Besitas come down here. Actually, why don't you guys come right here in the middle, both y'all. And then I'm going to invite, there's a lot of family that has come to celebrate today, and then we, there's a lot of us that are already doing life with them, and I'm going to invite us to come forward. I just want to surround them right now. We're going to spend a couple of minutes praying over them. So if you would just come forward, why don't you guys move forward just a little bit. Word. Come on. Like half the room right here. Come on, Byron. You get my elders up here, please, too. This is why I never mess with Mike, by the way. He's got, he got his back. Actually, they got Clarissa's back, so Mike don't mess up. <laughs> All right, and would, you, would the rest of you just extend a hand right now, and we're going to pray. So here's what we do um, in our small group. We, we pray how we call Korean prayer, and that is we all pray out loud at the same time, recognizing that God understands all of it, okay? So we're just going to pray at the same time, out loud. Let's go ahead and do it. Father God, I thank you. Father God, I thank you for these two little girls, for the gift that they are, for the the work of art that you have created them to be. And this world is going to tell them a lot of things about who they're supposed to be, what they're supposed to look like, how they're supposed to act in order to earn the love that they so desire. And yet, Father, you created them with an innate beauty that transcends the broken ideas that our world bandies about. You have created them with a value that is so much deeper and greater than anything the world can comprehend. And you love them unconditionally, far more beautifully and perfectly, even than Stephen and Tara, Mike and Clarissa, know how to love their daughters. And yet, you have entrusted these works of art into the hands of these two imperfect but wonderful couples. And I ask for your hand of protection over them. I pray that you would glorify yourself through them. I pray that you would protect their families.
from the attack of the enemy who would love to steal, kill, and destroy what you are working in and through each of them. I thank you that you have not just added a daughter to each of these families, but you've created two brand new families. And I thank you that we get to be a part of this journey, walking alongside of them and encouraging them. Jesus, in your holy name, amen. Now we're going to, um, later on, in, in about 15 minutes or so, we'll head across the street and we're going to have a celebration today of these two, but also of the family that we get to be. And at that point, if you want to steal one of the children, maybe you can. Um, get in line, right? But, you know, as I was preparing for today, there's this play that I was exposed to in college that has stuck with me for years. It's written by a guy that you've probably heard of, a guy named Arthur Miller, you know him from Death of a Salesman. Probably all of you had to study that in high school. But this, this particular play is called All My Sons. And in that play, it's about a father who has these two sons that fought in World War II. And this father had a, a, a factory in which he was producing plane parts. And as the story goes, this father um, had a particularly bad batch of metal that went through. And so all of the pieces, all of the parts for these planes that he made for a couple of days were flawed. And he had a choice. Do I just throw them out because they're flawed and take a bath on it and potentially lose the entire factory and go under? Or do I try to weld it up, cover it over, ship the parts, get the money so that I can continue to support my kids and have something for them to inherit? And he chose to go the second route. He chose to cover up the problem, ship the parts, and ultimately what ended up happening is that many servicemen's planes crashed and young men were killed because of his choice. And in this play, he's confronted by one of his sons who says, Dad, did you really do this? And the dad finally goes, yeah, I did it. But I did it for you, son. Don't you realize that if I had not shipped those parts, I would have been bankrupt and you wouldn't have had anything to inherit. I did it for you because you're my sons. And this boy goes, Dad, they were all your sons. Hence, you get the title of the play. This recognition that this man had drawn a circle around his little family, his nuclear family, and said, this is the extent of my responsibility. These are the people to whom I must care for. And if it causes pain elsewhere, so be it. But that's my primary responsibility. I share that because I feel like in the same way that this man had a very small view of his area of responsibility, when we read words like we read in Deuteronomy chapter 6, words about passing our faith onto our children, we read it through that same mindset. We read it as being Stephen and Tara, Mike and Clarissa have a responsibility solely to their children to pass on their faith into them. We read it with what, what sociologists call a um, kind of a 
individualistic mindset. And in fact, we are in an individualistic culture. Here's a definition for what an individualistic society looks like. Do we have a slide for that? Maybe not. That's all right. I wrote it down. This is what, this is what one person said. Individualistic culture, in an individualistic culture, everyone is expected to look after him or herself and his or her immediate family only. And this sociologist goes on to say, the United States is the most highly individualistic culture in the world and in history, followed closely by Australia, Great Britain, and Canada. In other words, in an individualistic society, we have this tendency to draw a circle around our nuclear family and say, this is the extent of my responsibility. Furthermore, within our families, one of the primary driving values of an individualistic society is that we raise our children to be self-sufficient, autonomous, to stand on their own two feet, to know who they are as opposed to the rest of the world, that they would recognize what a unique, wonderful little butterfly they really are. That is the driving force of an individualistic society. And I've got to confess to you, I have prayed prayers over my sons to God. God, help my sons to be strong, mature, autonomous men, that they would be able to stand on their own two feet, that they wouldn't need to look to other people to tell them who they are and that they're okay and all those kind of things. And there's some true heart in that, but it is so, that prayer itself is shaped by the society from which we come. A society that says one of the greatest goods that we can find is that we are an individual separate from and autonomous from other people. And yet the words of Deuteronomy chapter 6 and in fact the entire Bible as a whole was written into a completely different culture. One that is very foreign from our individualistic culture. Because the culture that the Bible was written into and that these words were written into is a collectivistic culture. It's just a big word for saying we recognize our identities not from what I am myself and what I myself do but rather from the group or the tribe that I am a part of, right? My identity, so, so you, when you read the Bible, you come across people like Joseph of Arimathea, right? He was known from the city that he was a part of. Or Simon bar Joseph, bar is simply son of. Simon, son of Joseph. People knew Jesus by who his family was. He wasn't an individual. He was part of a larger group, a family, and even beyond that of a tribe. The most obvious tribe that we see throughout Scripture is that of the Jews. The Jews recognized their, in, their uniqueness from the rest of the world. We are Jews. The rest of the people are Gentiles, meaning non-Jews. We gather together. We worship together. We eat together. We do not interact with, worship, or eat with people who are not Jewish. And as we looked at, as we saw when we went through the book of Acts, they came into a lot of conflict with the, the spread of the gospel because they could not wrap their minds around the fact that Jesus would have died for people other than the Jews. This is our Messiah! But all of a sudden, God is reaching out to the Gentiles? We don't get this. In a collectivistic society, 
not only do people identify themselves by a larger group of people, by the tribe that you're a part of, but in a collectivistic society, they would actually raise their children to recognize their dependence upon other people, which is so radically different from how we try to train our children up, which is why we run across so many gall-darn one-anothers in the New Testament, right? Love one another, care for one another, pray for one another, you support one another, spur one another on. All throughout the New Testament, there's dozens and dozens of these one another's. Because Scripture was written into a collectivistic society. And I would suggest that church, not just Lighthouse, but the church universally, is in fact a product of a collectivistic society. Church is intended to be a vehicle to help people band together and recognize we are in this together. We are a family, which is why we often, you hear Lee and I talking about the fact that we as a church are a family. Because we're together. Here's why this matters. When we read Deuteronomy chapter 6, and in particular those verse, that verse 7, that says, Impress these commandments onto your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you stand up. In our individualistic hearing, we hear Stephen and Tara, Mike and Clarissa, do these things for your daughters. In reality, from a collectivistic perspective, this is a command for all of us to follow. That means regardless of whether or not you have a child that you are currently raising, you are commanded to invest into the next generation. Regardless of whether you are ever a parent, you are called to pass on your faith. I've got to tell you, I'm a product of this kind of a... a um, that type of a church that recognizes that, that the children are not just the product of the parents' investment, that, but that it takes a village, this is one of those villages, or should be. I'm a product of one of those villages. I grew up at a, a church down the street, and I can tell you that throughout my life, my parents had the primary fingerprints placed on me. My parents spent a tremendous amount of time kind of working away a lot of the rough edges, but they didn't do it by themselves. I remember very vividly growing up with a bunch of other boys and girls that I didn't have any blood relationship with, but I still to this day call on my brothers and my sisters. On Christmas, when we're in the same area, we find ourselves gathering together and hanging out. And as I was part of the, the children's church in, in, in that church, I had volunteer men and women who poured into me and invested in me. And even beyond that, my family and other families would do trips together down to Mexico or backpacking, and they would go with me. And those parents became like, like aunts and uncles to me. I think specifically of people like um, Dave and Linnell Brooks. Barbie and Glenn Rouse, Bonnie and Keith Brigman, people to this day who, when, I, when they see me, consider me their son, have loved me and prayed for me. And they are my family. I got into junior high and I got into high school and I had some wonderful youth leaders that poured into me. 
And then there were also those volunteers at my church, people like Heather, people like Alini, people like Chad, who were not paid to be there, but simply were there because they recognized I value these children and I want to love on them as they become adults. Because let's not forget, we're not trying to raise children. We are trying to raise adults, aren't we? They may be children at this point, but we are trying to raise adults, not children who look like adults. There's far too many of those out there, and we want to do so with intentionality, that we want to raise actual adults. And so there were volunteers in my junior high and my high school that came alongside, were there on Tuesday nights, not because they were paid to be there, but because they wanted to be there. One guy in particular, a guy named Don Springer, who to this day I call Papa Don. Two weeks ago, he smacked me down in cribbage. You guys a wonderful person and is still an invest, still invests in my life. Papa Don showed up every Tuesday night to youth group. He was a retired firefighter. So it was not like he was just a couple years older than us. But he showed up because he cared about us and he believed in us. And then every Friday morning you'd find him over at the omelet parlor. God rest its soul. 7 a.m. on a Friday morning, he'd be in a booth and there would be six to seven to 12 other high school boys that showed up, got up early to be with him. And he would just be there and he would listen to the things that we were processing and he would process with us. He never got preachy, but he still spoke into our lives and he treated us like human beings, treated us like we mattered. And we loved him for that and we learned so much from him, even though it never felt as if he went... Now I want to tell you, thus saith the Lord, never went that route. He simply invested in us. He discipled us. And I will tell you that I am the man I am today, not simply because of my parents' investment, but also because of the other men and women, who, like people like Papa Don, who helped to raise me and who left fingerprints all over me. I am the pastor I am today because of their influence. I am the father that I am today, for better or for worse, because of their influence. What these two couples have signed up for is a very, very heavy burden, but they're not called to carry it alone. And the prayer of this church, my prayer for them and for us, is that we would help carry that burden that God has entrusted to them. We're doing it in a couple of ways, tangibly and intentionally. First off, we got Michelle, who's doing a phenomenal job with our family's ministry across the street. We call it family's ministry and not children's ministry for a very specific reason. Our job is not simply to invest in the children, but into their families as well. And we are continuing to look for ways to do that. In November, we have an intentional parenting conference. That's something that I feel will be very valuable for any of us who are trying to raise our children. I'm going to it. Kathy's going to it. I would ask you, if you've got a child in the home, to seriously consider signing up for it. I'd love for a large contingent of us to go to that. Furthermore, across the street, we are not just doing child care on Sunday mornings. They are doing church. They're learning scripture. They're hiding his word in their heart. They're learning the big God story and recognizing that it ultimately God is the central figure there. And all of the other people are bit players, but God is the focus. It's his story. And because of that, we get to have a part in that. 
And that is run by volunteers. That's run by many of you here. A lot of our youth today that are typically in this service are not here today because they're over volunteering across the street. And there's a lot of us that aren't here right now because they're over pouring into those kids. And if you want to invest here, that is one of the best ways that you can invest because those kids are still wet clay. They're still impressionable and you have an opportunity to invest in them that way. And if that's something you're interested in checking out more, give me your name tag before you leave today. Just stick it on me appropriately, please. And I will make sure that Michelle gets in contact with you and she can talk to you about what that might look like. We also recognize that as, as our kids become young adults, they become junior hires and then high schoolers, what we find so often is that junior high and high school kind of has their own church, and then once they're done with that, they go find churches like what they're used to, and they never really stay with the larger church. And if we are a church of families, of generations that are trying to do life together, one of the best things we can do is give them opportunities to be exposed to their parents and grandparents and wider family worshiping God. And so that's why a couple years ago we decided to actually have our junior hires and our high schoolers in here worshiping alongside of us so that they can watch their parents worship, so that they can watch you worship, and so that we can be encouraged by them worshiping. In the bottom of your outlines, you notice that there's this thing called homewards. That's very specific to help you continue the conversation as you go home, to take what we talked about and go, okay, so what does this look like in our own life? How does this play out? Because I'll tell you, I got tired of, of walking home with my boys and going, so what'd you learn? How was church today? Good. What'd you learn? I don't know. Dude, you're seven. You can't claim being old age for this reason that you can't remember. Come on. Well, now for our junior hires and our high schoolers, because I heard that that only gets worse as our boys age, right? So now our junior hires and our high schoolers are hearing the same message that you're hearing. Guess what that means? Now instead of going, so how was it? You can say, man, here's something that really got me today. What stood out for you? We can model for our kids the kind of vulnerability and transparency that we would hope that they would have with us while still giving them opportunities to have their own time on Friday nights with Chris who is doing a phenomenal job as our youth pastor and I'm sorry, as our youth leader I'm so grateful that God has brought him here so here's a couple of things because I'm out of time and I want to go across the street and celebrate and have some food with you guys so a couple of things if you are serious about answering the call to invest into the next generation, then I would encourage you to seriously consider becoming a volunteer with our, our, our family's ministry across the street one Sunday a month. It will challenge you. I get more out of getting to, to facilitate these conversations than you get every time. Because i got to get it for myself before I can help pass it on. So if you want to grow, one of the best ways you can do that is to get invested in, in, in investing in somebody else. Secondly, we have our VBS every year and that's coming up and that is an extremely important opportunity to invest not only in our kids but in a wider group of kids. Thirdly, the best investment you might make is not actually investing into the children themselves but into their parents. There are decades of experience. Some of you guys have been married for 50 plus years. 
Some of you have been following Jesus for longer than we have been alive. You have something of such value that so many other churches are like, we wish we had a small handful of people who could do that. And we have a great amount of you in this room. You have a purpose beyond simply being here on a Sunday morning. And I would ask for you to invest into the younger families. Encourage them. Maybe look for an opportunity to bless them. And then finally, and I I would say the biggest way that you could support is to pray for those who are actively investing into into the next generation today. There's a lot of us in here. Not only parents, but we've got a lot of teachers in here who are pouring into kids on a daily basis throughout the week. So here's what I want us to do as we wrap things up today. I want to have all of you who are currently either have a child in the home that you're raising or you are a teacher who's pouring into kids on a weekly basis, would you please stand up right now? Now, for those of you who are sitting, we're a family. I'm going to ask you to stand up and surround one of these people. Put your hand on them. And like we did earlier, Korean style, we are going to pray as the Spirit leads. You can do it out loud or silently. It's fine. But right now, let's pr- I'm coming down here too because I covet some prayers. I need them. My boys turned out too much like me. So pray for Kathy too. She's across the street with them right now. Long suffering. All right, let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the reminder this morning that we have been called not simply to hold on to our faith, but to pass it on. And it is both a wonderful gift and it is a heavy responsibility. One that we cannot possibly hope to accomplish apart from you. And I thank you that you have made children resilient because we're imperfect people following you imperfectly and and modeling your love imperfectly. So Holy Spirit, would you fall upon all of us? And would you help us to see these children, not just ours, but those of our friends, those of our fellow Lighthouseians, those... I don't even know that's a word, but whatever. Those in our neighborhoods that don't, wouldn't even think to step foot into church, they are all our children. And we ask, Father, that you would use us to invest into them and to help shape them into men and women who know who they are, know what they're about, and know who they belong to so that they don't need to look to somebody else to tell them. Here we are, God. Help yourself to us. Shore up our weaknesses. We are imperfect. And I thank you for using imperfect vessels so that you get the glory. Jesus, in your name. Amen. Let's worship.